Welcome to Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. I invite you to join me on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as a participant in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. Most of you know that this podcast is produced by Beautiful Teaching. If you have not yet checked out my website, beautifulteaching.com, please do. I've listed tons of resources for you on the website. And when you visit beautifulteaching.com, be sure to meet my team of master teachers. We offer private consulting, online webinars for parents and educators, as well as professional development for schools all over the world. Visit beautifulteaching.com to learn more about all the services that we offer. There's even a tab dedicated to the podcast so that you can share this podcast with your friends. If you have not checked out my narration intensive with the Society for Classical Learning, check that out too. This workshop is for anyone who wants to participate in the various stages of narration and who wants to dive deep into the roots of the tradition of memory and the trivium as they function within the art of narration. This class is great for anyone who really wants to understand the primacy of narration as the bedrock of the trivium arts. Participants will experience how narration is a grammatical, dialectical, and rhetorical art that lays the foundation for acquiring moral and intellectual habits. Check out the Society for Classical Learning Winter Workshops and scroll through to find my class on narration. The link to register for this workshop is in the show notes, and this class starts on Friday or on Tuesday, February 20th, and runs every Tuesday for four weeks. All registered participants will have access to the recordings in case you are unable to attend all of the live workshops, and you can register today by visiting societyforclassicallearning.com and their winter workshop. Make sure it's winter workshops. The link for both the Society for Classical Learning and for my website, Beautiful Teaching, are in the show notes for this podcast episode. Thanks for listening to the show. All right. Today, I am super excited to have some guests on our program that publish my favorite math curriculum. And if you know me well, you know that my favorite math curriculum is Right Start Math. And so I am very Pleased to introduce you to Kathleen Cotter Clayton and the school liaison, Teresa Fulton. So what I'd like the two of you to do is first introduce yourselves, tell us what you do for Right Start, and uh, then we're going to go into some stories and why we love Right Start Math so much and why we all think that Right Start Math is one of the most classical math curriculums on the market. So uh, Kathleen, why don't you start us out? Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having us, Adrian. This is so much fun. Um, I'm Kathleen Cotter Clayton, and I actually am Dr. Cotter's daughter. So, if you look in the Math Card Games book, that is a you know part of the uh, component of the Right Start Math program, you'll see my name in there, and my sister's name, and my brother's name. Um, so, I've been doing this pretty much since a young teenager. I have been part of Right Start. I didn't really join the company. Actually, I joined the company twice. I did it once when I was very pregnant with, I don't know, one of the kids. Actually, I think it was the third kid. And I was pregnant with her, and I started to do some of the assembly work. 
and then continue it in doing some of the shipping. At that point, this, the business was very small, left for five years and came back in because we were growing exponentially and we had to have somebody else come in. I started out just kind of as an office manager, moved up, uh, you know, just did all sorts of different things. Currently, I am the uh, vice president and curriculum writer and sales are probably the three main things that I do right now. Okay, and Teresa? Hi, everyone. I'm Teresa Fulton. Um, I have, well, I was introduced to Write Start um, at a very small homeschool um, curriculum fair in Denver. And I was searching for a math program at the time because my son, who we were about halfway through first grade, I realized that he he could give me the right answer to a problem, but he couldn't tell me why that was the right answer or explain how he got it. It was simply that he had memorized it. And being an English major myself, although I did well in math, um, I was I was a good student, so I got good grades and whatnot. I wouldn't say that I was a naturally math-minded person. And I thought, how hard could math be, right? It's first grade. I passed that for sure, so it can't be that hard. But then when I started noticing this issue with my son, um, I thought good and hard about this. I was like, hmm, my husband's a physicist. Math is really important to him. This homeschool gig of mine might be really short <laughs> if I don't get this <laughs> math thing right. So I brought home the research information and the catalog and whatnot um, so that my husband could read it. And he read it and I said, what do you think? And he said, well, of course, that's the way you should teach math. And I thought, huh. Okay, uh, just so you know, this is not how it's taught in the vast majority of schools across the country, just so you know. He did not grow, he grew up in Slovakia, so maybe his math education was more along the lines of Right Start, I don't know, but he recognized right away that it was an excellent way to teach. And I have five kids, so they have all used the program, and um, I have some math-minded children, naturally math-minded kids, and some who are not naturally math-minded. And it worked really well for both kinds of kids. Um, the ones who were math-minded just ate it up. They're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And although they were homeschooled and they never had to really encounter uh, math curriculums that were not as easy to digest, I guess, would be the way I would describe it, or as intuitive or as natural um, to a math-minded kid. So they didn't have those bad experiences. They did recognize right away that, oh, this really speaks my language. And then those kids who were not naturally math-minded really learned how to think like a math-minded person. So I know today that if um, a few of those kids that I have in mind, I won't name them, call them out, but if we had not used Right Start, they would have struggled continuously through school hated math, and probably would go into a field that had the least amount of math possible. Um, but instead, they enjoyed math, they understand math, and now the few of them that are out there in the workforce, they are explaining math concepts to their colleagues. So um, That's yeah, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty yeah. amazing program. So, Teresa, I know that you homeschooled, as did I, and I'm going to share my homeschool story as well. But you work with schools now because Right Start not only provides a wonderful curriculum for homeschoolers, it also has a 
a, a whole entire program for schools specifically. I want you to tell us a little bit about your work with schools. Yes, absolutely. Well, I was really excited to be able to join, um, you know, the school division of Right Start Math because I do have classroom experience. And although I was not teaching math at the time, I really, um, since I fell in love with the curriculum, I knew that it was it would really meet a lot of needs for both teachers and students out there. So I have two favorite stories. There's a lot of fun stories that I have about schools. But um, the first one, and this was just a story that was passed on to me. Um, it, there was a boy out in San Diego. He was in seventh grade and he had um, failed seventh grade math. So his parents hired a tutor and at the time, this was a long time ago, so we only had um, up through our fourth grade book. They hired a tutor to teach him out of our fourth grade book for the whole school year for eighth grade. And by the end of that time, now that tutor probably spent, you know, maybe one or two hours a week with him, didn't even make it all the way through the book. But that boy tested for ninth grade, he tested into algebra with his peers that he had left behind in seventh grade. And I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Yes. It yes. gives me chills. I tell this story quite often, but it, it, it gives me goosebumps because I'm like, oh my goodness, to just think that that little bit of exposure to how yes. to think about math really yes. made a world of difference for this kid, right? And then the second story is actually about teachers. So um, <clears throat> many teachers, uh, especially elementary school teachers, they don't go into teaching elementary school because they love math. Right, <laughs> Usually right. they go in to education because they love children, right? right? And maybe they love reading, right? So they want to inspire the kids to be good readers. But a small percentage of elementary school teachers are, yes, math, I love it. And um and I do know some of those teachers, but in my training, so I travel around the country giving professional development to teachers, and it's so fun. I, I really enjoy it so much. On several occasions, I have been, um, so I, I do a three-part training, and the middle part is all about fractions. And fractions are usually, either you love them or you hate them, and um, you know, most of the time they're a challenge for many adults as well as kids. So, and intimidating. In any event, I have had several ex experiences where teaching teachers about how we at Right Start teach fractions has resulted in them crying. Yes. And the first time this happened to me, I thought, oh goodness, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I, I, oh, I must have not said something right or they're feeling horrible or whatever. But they clarify really quickly that they're, they're kind of tears of joy and sadness at the same time. It's mixed. They said, I'm crying because I'm really sad that I didn't understand fractions before. I thought I loved math when I entered school in kindergarten. Math was exciting. And first and second grade, it was great. And then third or fourth grade, whenever they introduced fractions to these teachers, um, that put up a wall and the teachers who were then kids obviously developed this, this fear of fractions and fear of math and they didn't trust it and they didn't understand it. But I give a brief two hour 
um, presentation on how to teach fractions. And all of a sudden it wipes away all of that fear and all of the insecurities and, and the misunderstandings about fractions and they finally get it. So the second reason why they're crying is because they said, I can offer a far different experience to my students. And they're so thrilled about that, that their students are not going to be afraid of fractions and their students are not going to be facing the quandary when, you know, they're graduating high school and they're going to college and they want to be a veterinarian, but gosh, darn it. There's a lot of math and chemistry yeah. and all these other th subjects. And so they're like, nope, can't do that. I've got to do something else. So these kids won't face that because they'll be confident in math. They'll be able to, uh, you know, it might still not be their first love, but it's not going to stop them from pursuing the career that they really desire. Right. So. Right. Well, before we uh, get into like how I think Rice Start Math is classical and why we think it's one of the best math programs out there, Kathleen, I want you to walk us down the, 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 the history of the company, um, the unique qualities it has, and what influenced your mom to develop this curriculum? She actually didn't mean to start this. This was truly an accident. She actually started everything. I mean, she, let, me, let me back up. She is an electric, uh, she's a mechanic. No, she's an electrical engineer. I had to stop and think which one she was because her husband, my dad, was a mechanical engineer. Mom was the electrical engineer. So she, math has always been her thing. And, you know, then she went off and had three kids. And my brother was dyslexic. And he was struggling in school, third grade, couldn't do his multiplication facts. And, and he would throw up every day in math class because he couldn't get it. Well, we can't have that. So they ended up moving him to uh, today that we would probably consider a charter school. And part this was in Minnesota. And part of the charter school requirements was is every parent had to give so many hours in into making this school work. You had to donate so many hours. Well, since you know Joan is is interested in math and her son is busy having you know problems with math, she started creating card games. And somebody said, these are really good. You should write this down. And she went, what? Oh, okay. That was the beginning of it. So she did not mean to do this. Then from there, okay, so she's got the card games. You know, and she's starting to write these down. And okay, these are really good. But there's still something missing. And so she actually looked at uh, colored rods and said, oh, this will help the kids learn. And it's funny because as a child, I remember playing with them. I don't remember doing anything, but I remember playing with them. I liked the colors of them. And she realized quite rapidly that that's not it. So what is it? She's also a Montessori teacher. So she went back to her Montessori background and worked with the bead frame, the Montessori bead frame. Yes. And there is where she came up with the idea of the Cotter Ale Abacus that we now use today. And because it's grouped in fives, when you have seven, you have five dark beads, two light, you can see that it's seven because you have five and two, just like your hands. You can hold up five on one hand, two on the other. Yep, that's seven. You know, I can see 10. Well, that'd be two fives. And again, on the abacus, you can see two fives. So the abacus is what she started to do. And again, she started to play around with it, got some ideas, wrote a book. 
And so things just kind of went on its merry way for a while. She had a kit that she had the abacus book and the abacus and the card games. And it was, that's actually what I used with my kids. So my kids were actually pre-write start. And <laughs> when she went back, she went back to school and became a middle school math teacher. And my, my sequencing is a little bit out, but you, you get the drift here. Um, she went back to school and became a middle school math teacher. And that was a really exciting time and a really difficult time because that's where she decided that these kids don't know their math. So I mm. have, she said, I have to do something different. She said, I think this abacus and my card games, I think this is it, but I need something more. So she went and got her PhD because she wanted to look for the research. Interesting little side note, her husband, my dad, would ask her as she started her PhD program, what do you do if you find out that what you're doing is wrong? Because most people would be like, oh, you know, I've been working on this for 15 years. Honestly, I'm right. Let me just, I'll just shove all the data into the corners and make it fit. But instead, she said, oh, well, if I'm not right, then I'll change it. And that always just kind of gives me a thrill to know that she looked at something and went, oh, okay, well, I'm not right. Well, let's go find out what's right. I mean, what confidence to know that I'm going to do the right thing for the children. But when she got her PhD, she realized that she was doing it right. And now she's got the research to back it. And out of her doctoral dissertation came the Right Start Math program. So she actually wrote level B or first grade first. Then the school that she was working with said, oh, we want more. So every year she wrote the next level, the next level, the next level, went back to kindergarten. And then she's like, oh, good, I'm done. Wait a minute. There's another way to do this. I can do this better. And that's where the second edition came out. Wow. And that started in 2013. Um, kind of as a personal side note, um, my dad ended up having some medical things and he was in the hospital for, I don't know, like a month or two or something of the sort in the middle of writing that boy, does that put a crimp on your curriculum writing when you got somebody in the hospital and you're worried about things, he ended up being just fine. Um, but we were, we were writing. So the rights, the second edition, right start math, second edition was actually written from 2013 to 2019. And a lot of it is the same, and some of it is completely different. And so it's really neat to see the differences between the two books. And you can see the second edition has newer research in it. She found new ways to do this and better ways to do it. So that's kind of where Right Start came from. Yeah, I know there's a lot of research in this. I remember when I was searching for a curriculum for math, I, I was enjoying reading the research. Is there any that stand out to you that you like to talk about any of the research? Well, the one thing that kind of tickled her is she wondered why are the Asian speaking cultures doing so much better than the mm -hmm. English speaking or whatever the right word might be, but the English speaking, you know, cultures, why, why are they doing better? And she realized as she drilled down into it that that's the way they say their numbers. So instead of them saying 20, they say 210. So 21 right. is 2101, 2102, 2103, 2104, all the way up to 2109, 310. And so when you look at our English language, the numbers from 11 to 99 are all screwed up. 
after that, they make sense because you, you've got 100, 1,000, 1 million, 1 gazillion, but you don't say 110. Mm -hmm. And so she took that, and again, coinciding with the abacus, but that research was, that's where she was like, oh, interesting side note. We have a poster, it's called, or we got a, a series of like eight posters around the building here that says, it's called Math of the, of the World. And one of them is math of China, and it shows how they write their numbers. And I've seen this thing. We've probably had this for 10 years. And the other day I was just looking at it, and I thought, oh, they use the math way of saying the numbers. Sure enough, there's 24, 210, 4, 210, 9, 410, 8. And so it's not just something that they say, it's how they write it. And that gives them an advantage because in our language, we spend the kids spend sometimes as much as a year or two trying to figure out place value. And if you can't figure out place value, everything after that is just complete chaos. You know, okay. it's just memorize, memorize, memorize. But if I know how the numbers go together, oh, that makes sense. Because if I know two plus three, well, that's five. What do you think two ten plus three ten is? Five ten? Yes. What do you think 200 plus 300 is? Oh, it's 500. 2,000 plus 3,000. Oh, there'd be 5,000. 2 million plus 3 million. My little guy wanted to know what 2 infinity plus 3 infinity was. It's 7 infinity. Don't tell the others. Or not 7, but 5 infinity. I've changed my numbers on myself. <laughs> but, you know, 2 infinity plus 3 infinity would be 5 infinity. He recognized the pattern. And that's right. what we want the kids to do. But 11 to 99 doesn't have that pattern. So kids shut down as do most adults. Wow. So that's a so, good example of the research. Right. Yes. The language is so important. It's, I also really love uh, the number lab folks down here in Austin, Texas, and language is the same. It's just um, using good language in math makes a huge difference in learning math. And, and that's one of their big messages too. And so I, you guys have a lot of overlap. I know that you do because of what I've seen them do in my experience with mm -hmm. Right Start. Um, I want to share my story a little bit. My daughter, uh, well, I, we were using a very common homeschool math curriculum. I'm not going to name it. And uh, happy with it for like, I don't know, six or seven years. And then when my son got to around the high school levels, I started to realize there were a lot of gaps in his understanding of math. So he was really struggling going into the high school levels of math because there were gaps that I didn't even realize were happening. So I began to research and found right. So I was, I'm a researcher. So I'm one of those people that researches things to death before I buy them. Like every review, I read every review. I mean, I spend, you know, six months looking for a new phone. Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I did that with the math and I and I was super excited once I once I got right start math and my daughter was um, testing into I think it was we started with level C was what we ended up testing mm. her into and um, could have been B, but I think it was C. And so there was a huge learning curve for the two of us. And we we dove into it. And I was blown away mm -hmm. by the abacus and the casting out nines, which I want you to talk about. Yep. And 
the funniest thing was I, I read all the stuff that said, well, aren't your students going to get dependent upon the abacus? Well, I realized they absolutely do not because one day my daughter was doing like, I don't know, triple digit multiplication or division. And she was sitting there and I had the answer key and I was watching her think like her eyes were going up to the ceiling and she was thinking for a long time. And then she wrote the answer. And I was like, how did you get that right without doing any work on the paper? Like, show me your work. What did you do? She was, mom, I just did the abacus in my head. <laughs> and I'm like, you that. could actually do like triple digit multiplication yeah. with an abacus in your head. Okay. That's mind blowing. <laughs> it's called learning how to think well. And then the other part was when I was trying to teach her casting outlines and I'm just sitting there reading verbatim the teacher manual, like, okay, this is what you do. And I read it to her and I goes like, I said, I don't exactly think I understand what that means. She goes, oh, I get it, mom. You just do this and this and this. And then she got the right answer. And I was like, okay, you get it. Great. <laughs> so that was where I was like, okay, this curriculum is working. And my daughter is loving math. There were no more tears, which we had for years. She was Wonderful. enjoying it. We were both having a blast, having fun playing the games. I was learning so many new things and learning how to think differently. I was like, oh, if I would have learned math this way, I probably would have actually enjoyed math. And I'm one of those people who's terrified of math, but I want to see it taught well. I, I visit schools. I want to see kids enjoying it. I want to see it taught well. And in a classical education, there should be joy and wonder and good teaching. And this program gives you that. I've seen it in schools that we've worked with schools together, Teresa, and I've seen it. I've heard parent feedback. I've seen teachers children excited that Right Start is now happening at their schools. I want you to talk a little bit about how Right Start um, has brought in good teaching. And even I know you have a story about the first textbook from the Middle, Age, Middle Ages. And I want our listeners to hear and understand how we think that Right Start fits into the classical model and is actually a curriculum that is doing what the medievals did when they were teaching math. Teresa, why don't you address this? Okay, so um, the reference to the medieval um, time period is a reference to, I believe, the first book about math. It's called Treviso Arithmetic. And the author of that book, we all know that you know, the, for arithmetic, you need to know addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. But this author said that what was even more important than those four operations is place value. And when I first read that, I thought, huh, I hadn't really, you know, thought about that. I didn't even think of place value actually as an operation. But this author said that it was you know, the number one, the most important. And it is so true because if you can't, if you don't understand place value, if you don't have a good understanding of place value, what more can you do in math, right? It makes algorithms really hard to understand. And so then what do teachers tell the kids to do? They tell them, well, just memorize it. You don't have to understand it, just memorize it. But in fact, what research has found is if we memorize something before we've understood it, it makes it so much harder to come back later and understand what's happening. Whereas if we can understand it first, which may take, well, I don't really think it takes longer because memorization takes an awfully long time, but 
you know, some teachers might think, oh, it's just going to take too long for them to understand it. But if we really put forth that effort to help the children understand what's happening in math, then when they get to the algorithm, it'll make complete sense. And if they for happen to forget that algorithm, they'll be able to figure out how to figure out the answer, right? So understanding, the understanding of concepts is far more important than, than we have been giving it credit. And so um, the place value is, was, to me anyways, very surprising that that was so important, but it makes so much sense. And the fact of the matter is, is half of fourth graders, by the end of fourth grade across the U.S., only half of them actually understand place value. So this explains why we see test scores going down in fourth grade, um, why kids get to algebra and can't understand, you know, what they're doing. A lot of it is goes, traces the roots right back to not having a complete understanding of place value. So it's super, super important. Kathleen, do you want to add to that? I was just going to, in my mind, I see it as place value is this like beam off of that is addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. So it's not like addition, subtraction, multiplication, and oh, by the way, over there in the corner is place value. Place value brings brings everything, it, bring, it brings it to light, it, it gives it sense, it gives it order. Uh, for example, think of the abacus again, because remember, it's grouped, it's grouped into fives. So if I have seven, so I've got five and two, five dark, two light, or, you know, whatever color you want, but, you know, color A, color B, and I've got seven, and on the next row, I put a six, I've got five and one. Well, what happens if you put those two fives together? Wouldn't that be 10? And then look at my lights. I've got a two and a one is three. So I can see visually, I didn't have to do anything, that I have 10 and three more. Or I could say one, 10, three, however you want to say it. But if I say 10, three, that's the same thing as 13. Oh, so in my mind, instead of it being, well, six plus seven, well, six... Oh gosh, seven plus seven is fourteen minus some. What was it? Six minus six is um thirteen. I'm just gonna count it. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So you get all these shenanigans that the kids go through. Whereas if you use the abacus, you're just like, okay, in my head I can see a six, I can see a, uh, I can see a seven, I can see a six, ten, three, thirteen. Boom, done. Right. It just makes right. it so easy. So well, and the other. Oh. Go ahead, Teresa. Go Sorry. Ahead. The other thing I was going to add on to that is using the abacus in conjunction with this math way of saying the numbers really brings place value to life. Because, you know, if you ask a child how many tens are in 65, they might not know. They might say, I don't see any tens. I see a six and a five. Right. But if you say how many tens are in six, ten, five, well, the answer is right there in yeah. the name. So you've got right. the the vocabulary, the correct vocabulary used with the correct manipulative, and it really drives home the place value right. for the kids. So back to the Treviso math, Teresa, you were saying that in that medieval textbook, you saw that he put a huge emphasis on 
place value as being equally or more important than the four orders of operation. I think in his book, I think if I'm remembering, he calls it the five orders of operation. I think if I'm remembering correctly. I think so. I think so. Yes. Yeah. And I don't and, know if it would be greater than, but it's definitely the backbone. It's the, it's the spine of everything. Sure. Without the spine, who cares about the ribs? Right. Now, the other thing in the Treviso math that's fun is the, this idea of casting out nines, which you guys use in your program. And and does anybody want to explain what, what that means? You don't have to walk us through what casting out, out nines are, is, but kind of like how it's used and why it was used in Treviso math. What it is, is it's a tool. And like any tool, some people like it. Some people don't like it. Some people are neutral. I'm one of the neutral ones. I know how to use it. I don't mind using it, but I tend not to use it. I know other people who use it all the time. I have a friend of mine who's like, oh, I'm never using it. Okay, fine, whatever. It's a tool. Do with it what you will. But what it does is it allows you to check your answer. Um, can I take two seconds and kind of walk people through how to do it, Adrian? Sure. Yeah, okay. that'd be great. So let's just take the number 23 plus 21. So you can either write it in the air or write it down. But 23 plus 21, answer would be 44. Okay, that was pretty easy. So let's check because I have no way of checking if my math was correct. I, I don't know other than a calculator. I'm not sure if I'm right. Now, and again, this you wouldn't be this isn't something you do mentally. This is something you do on paper. And I'm using a very simple example. So what you do with casting out nines, and we actually call it check numbers. Same name, or a diff different name, obviously, it's a different name. Different name, same concept. So what you do is you add the digits together. So 23, I add the 2 and the 3, it's 5, and that's going to be my check number. So just hang on to that. If you're writing it down, write down 5. We like to write it with the parentheses around it, so you know it's a check number. It's not like all of a sudden turned into 235. It's just <laughs> 5 in parentheses. So 21... Add the digits together. Two and one is three. So that's my check number, parentheses. Now, let's do 44. So four plus four is eight. Check number is eight. Okay, that's a lot of work. I don't see the point of this. But check this out now. If I add my check numbers, five plus three is eight. Whoa. So now, again, this is a very... Simple example, but if I'm doing like multi-digits, which is what we did back, you know, with Treviso Arithmetic, they were doing columns and columns. This is a way they could check their numbers. Now, let me show you what happens. Let's just say, because I made an error, I thought 23 plus 21, instead of it being 44 like it is, I thought it was 43. I, did, I made an error. So 43. So what's the check number of 43? Well, seven. 4 plus 3 is 7. 7. And does the check number of five plus the check number of three equal seven? No. It doesn't. Whoop, whoop, whoop. We have an error. Mm -hmm. So that's what it is. And you can use it for addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And what I tell kids sometimes is some kids are like, oh, you want me to do what next? Oh, I can't do this. Okay, let's just say you're taking like a big old test and you got four examples. It says, you know, what's 9,822 times 2,860? Well, I have no idea. Use the check numbers. You got four examples. 
do the check numbers, figure out what the check numbers. Oh, I only have two that are option, or it's only one. Well, there's my answer. I don't have to do the calculations. I can just use the check numbers. Yeah, and my understanding is this is what they did in the Middle Ages. Yes. Because they didn't have calculators. Right. And it's a great way of learning how to think. Now, I, Kathleen, I saw students doing this, third graders doing this in a classroom, mm -hmm. and they loved it, and they were having fun. It was interesting. And they were doing it with very complicated multiplication yes. problems. And yeah. I was blown away watching eighth graders do something that, I, and actually, to be honest with you, watching them do that was the first time I actually understood it. When my daughter did it, yeah. I didn't understand it. I just let her do it because she said she understood it. And I saw that it was working yeah. and I was a busy homeschool mom. I'm like, she's got it. She, I don't need to intervene and figure this out. I've got to go cook dinner, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but watching the third graders do this at one of our schools in Dallas and Teresa, you were there, I think. And uh, I was just, oh, I get it. This is so cool. And to see the joy on the students' faces was really, really fun. Well, it, um, it brings the delight, the happiness, the joy, the beauty of math. Yes. I mean, yes. you can't look at that process and say there's not beauty in math because that's Correct. not just a random thing happening. It's it's joyful. It's exciting. It's, oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. Yay. That's what yeah. we want. We want our kids excited and happy. I want to hear your thoughts on what other areas about this math curriculum makes it fit really well into the classical model. One of the things that comes to my mind immediately is the emphasis of geometry, because geometry is a huge part. It's part of the quadrivium, and it is so beautiful. And geometry just, I don't remember really learning anything about geometry until I was in 10th grade. I mean, I learned my shapes in Montessori school. I went to Montessori school, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I think that I was blown away by how much geometry is in Rice Art Math from the beginning. And all I can think of is this has to be the most classical math program because there's so much geometry in it. Um, I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on that and then whatever else you think of that, that you think makes it fit into the classical tradition. Well, Adrian, I completely agree. Did you want to say something first? No, oh, no, go ahead. I was pointing to okay. you. Um, I completely agree with you, Adrian, about the geometry. Um, I want to expand that a little bit because, you know, one of the things that we focus on in classical education is, is you know, directing the students to the, the good, the true, and the beautiful. And so obviously math is true, <laughs> you know, two plus two is four. Um, and it's good because it can, it's useful in our daily lives, but rarely do people think of how beautiful math is. And it, it is, it's beautiful in many ways. Um, as you mentioned, the geometry, well, we do start geometry with, you know, the kindergartners and it goes all the way through middle school. But the neat thing I think about Right Start and which is really unique is that starting in second grade, the kids are given geometric drawing tools. So they have a drawing board, T-square, triangles, and they are creating geometric shapes. So it could be a snowflake or a, a, a star and different kinds of stars, a star embedded in a hexagon, a star built off of a small hexagon, for example. Um, they learn about you know, how to draw, how to divide a equilateral triangle into four equal parts and then into eight equal parts. How, what are the different ways you could do that? Um, they learn about 
um, they, they learn about algebra through these drawings and figuring out, you know, how many triangles are on, on any given level of a, an equilateral triangle. So if you've divided it into nine equal parts, there's one triangle on the top, three on the next, five on the next layer there. Well, what if it had 10 rows? How many would it be? So the kids figure out, you they derive um, an algebraic formula to figure out the answers. And, you know, that's that would be in sixth grade. So that's right. really incredible. But then the other beautiful aspect of math are the patterns that are involved. So, for example, the patterns um, for multiplication. So if you if you take the threes, for example, and these all have to be written in a, a very precise way. They can't just be written out, you know, from one through ten. Um, but if they're written out in the patterns the way that we have them written out, the kids can start to see the relationship between the numbers and how um, it's recognizing the patterns will help them to remember the answers if they happen to forget what nine times seven is. Well, if they remember that, okay, in the nines, all the digits in the answers have to add up to nine right? And if it's nine times seven, I'm going to think one less than that, six. Six plus what is nine? Three. Oh, the answer is 63. So they can use these patterns to recognize what the answer is going to be if they happened to forget what it was, which, you know, the bird flew by and I could forget something, right? So um, it, it can happen. The other cool thing is that Dr. Cotter really... Um, and this is throughout the curriculum, but especially in the middle school uh, books, is she looks at how math is in art and architecture and nature. So the symmetry or lack thereof of our faces, right? Compared to say, um, you know, the symmetry in a flower um, or in a leaf, right? Um, or, you know, just the spirals that we find on shells, so there's an ammonite fossil and that spiral that's created in that shell is a mathematical equation, right? It's the square root spiral. And we can draw that. We can mimic that spiral that's in the seashell by drawing it using, you know, the, the square root spiral method, right? Which you guys would learn about in the books. Um, so although Dr. Cotter doesn't, you know, mention God in the books, it is very clear that there is somebody who's using math to design all of this nature around us, right? It's absolutely amazing. Um, and so I just wanted to point out those things for the, you know, the good, the true, and the beautiful. If you want to see that in math, this is the curriculum that you want to use because it, it's very obvious. And, and the kids will trip over themselves saying, oh, look at this, look at this, you know, and, and they're the ones who are going to discover it. You're not going to have to say a word about it. They're the ones who are going to say, wow, math is so cool. We see yeah. it everywhere, you know? Yeah. I'd like to add in one thing. There are 200 branches of mathematics. Mm -hmm arithmetic is one. So you can have somebody like me 
who's really not that good in arithmetic. I'm six, sevens, and eights. Uh, you know, I can add and subtract them now. I'm working on multiplying them. I'm not that good in arithmetic, but I am really good in math. And if I would not have had the exposure to the geometry aspect, the algebra, algebra is where I went, oh, this is yummy. And, you know, statistics and all these other branches of mathematics, if you don't expose that to a child and they do struggle with arithmetic, well, I'm bad in math. No, you're not. You're just bad in arithmetic. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it gives them an idea that math is so much more, so much more than than math, excuse me, than arithmetic. Hmm. And so it options. Yeah. Now tell us a little bit about what, I know Bright Start goes from kindergarten through eighth grade. Tell us a little bit about that. And uh, I also want to hear if you have any stories, Kathleen, from any schools that you're working with. Well, Teresa does more of the schools now. I've, I've kind of stepped back a little bit. Okay. I, I kind of do what she tells me to do. <laughs> You know, so every now and then I do, there's schools in my physical area that I will work with. And right. it's it's just wonderful working with them just to see the growth and the the joy that they are generating with the kids. Because most people go into teaching because they want to encourage children and grow children and have them be better. And what a better way than to take something so important, math, and help them grow and flourish and be all that they can be what what um why does it only go up to eighth grade though very good question like i like i originally said dr cotter only started from she had kindergarten up to fourth grade and she quit because she was done but then she continued then she started to go in with the kind of a middle school she kind of got an idea as to what she wanted to do ended up coming back with second edition and went up to eighth grade as a, well, it's kind of a seventh, eighth grade, somewhere in there. But when you're done with it, you're ready to go into high school algebra. Mm -hmm. There was another program that did pretty much what she would have done. So she said, why should I do it? He's got what I would have done. And that wasn't her area of expertise. Her area of expertise was the elementary and middle school, just with her right. education, with Montessori, and with her, her, you know, her teaching certificate and her PhD, she focused on that. So could she have continued? Of course she could have. But it's not her area of expertise. Why should she and us go into something where we're a little bit wobbly? So if a school starts, if a student starts with Right Start in kindergarten, first, second, third, they will be through our program by the end of seventh grade. So they'll be able to do algebra in eighth grade. Now, some schools know their unique situation. So I, I work with one school, it's a very large school, but they knew that their population as a whole was behind. And so they actually start their first graders, their kindergarten and first graders, they started with our kindergarten program. And so for the first year that they did our program, everybody was a year behind, but they just knew that there were so many gaps that they didn't want to push through before mm -hmm. they had a good solid foundation. So those kids would be going off to high school to do algebra, which is a pretty normal thing anyway, right? So just so you know, the reason why Kathleen was saying, you know, it, it it's a seventh, eighth program, it just kind of depends upon where the kids start. Um, 
But by the time they're done with us, they're ready to go right into algebra. It, it works yeah. out really well. And at first I wasn't, you know, when I was teaching my own kids, I was like, I don't know if, if he's ready for algebra, but in fact, oh yeah, he was more than ready for algebra. So I would um, argue even Euclid's geometry, that the geometry yes. foundation is so solid. Yes. I agree. They can, they can go into Euclid and understand it. In yeah. the SAT or ACT tests, going to college entrance tests, all, and this, this is something we looked at probably about 15 years ago, but all the questions that were asked on the college entrance tests, you know, regarding geometry are covered in our level G and H or our six and seven, depending upon how, how you're labeling it. Wow. Everything but one question was there. Now, that doesn't mean you get to skip high school geometry, but it lays such a good foundation. A good foundation. Right. Yes. Right. So how, where can our listeners learn more and what do you offer to help a school get started? Well, actually I want to take a quick second and I don't know if you're familiar with this, Adrian, we have a new product out, a new series coming out. It's called right start tutoring. Oh, I didn't know. Yes. And what we've done with that is right start tutoring number sense. So that would be our addition subtraction. It does addition, beginning addition, beginning subtraction, up to four digit addition, four digit subtraction in 50 lessons, no worksheets, because they only play games. And that's distilled out of levels or, or grades, kindergarten one, two. So basically, it just takes out the meat and potato chunks, the big chunks, and addresses that addition subtraction. This is for, we kind of say this is for a child who's about two years or more behind schedule. Because if they're one year behind, like Teresa was saying, they can just go back a year and they'll be fine. If they're mm -hmm. two years behind, they need to do some catch up. There's a right start tutoring multiplication and division, which cleverly teaches multiplication and division up to 100, multiplying up to 100, and then dividing from 100 down, including remainders. That one's 59 lessons. Again, the kids are gonna be devastated, but no worksheets, only games. I'm working on a multiplication division book two that's going into two-digit multiplication, four digits times two digits. And now we're just starting to get in with division and long division. And don't know when it'll be done. I'm hoping it'll be done by the beginning of next year, but that's coming. There's a right start tutoring fractions. And that takes fractions from golly gee whiz, what's a fraction, all the way up to dividing fractions. So kind of to come back to what Teresa's saying is if you've got someone who's really behind, run them through this, this series and then continue on. Or maybe mm -hmm. run it in conjunction, see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... So to answer your question, how to get hold of us, rightstartmath.com. And if you are a school or a classroom, there's a button on there that says classroom. Click on that. It takes you over to our classroom website, which is Right Start Classroom. Is it classroom or classrooms? I think it's right. Start uh, singular, singular, Right Start Classroom. Right Start Classroom.com. So you can type in one or the other. But if you go to Right Start Math, you can get over to the other one just by clicking on classroom. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. And Adrian, you also asked what kind of support do we give? So when a school contacts us and says that they're interested in learning about Right Start, 
Um, we, I can give an initial presentation to whoever are the decision-making people, you know, so if you have a math curriculum committee or if it's just, you know, the principal and the fifth grade teacher, it doesn't matter. I'll give a presentation on how Right Start works and, you know, the kind of the method and philosophy and, and all the key components of, of Right Start. Um, we can send preview boxes. Those are free for 60 days. You can get your hands on our hand on hands on uh, manipulatives, right? And um, also play some games. You know, Kathleen mentioned games and how in the tutoring series, they uh, most of the books don't have worksheets, but we rely heavily on games. That's true for the entire curriculum. We we do have worksheets, but most of the practice is done with games. And those are not a filler. Those are essential to the curriculum. And they're very, very helpful. Um, in fact, I had a school that um, they kind of missed that message somehow. They didn't go through training. So that was the other thing. We offer free professional development. Um, we offer free parent meetings. So uh, if you want to get your parents on board so that they understand why this math curriculum is different, why you guys switched up, um, and how they can help their student by playing games at home, uh, we, we can give uh, you know a parent meeting. And then we're available all school year round. So if a teacher gets to a lesson and says, oh my goodness, that didn't go quite the way I thought it should, or they're reading ahead and they're like, huh, I don't understand check numbers or whatever it happens to be, right? We can walk them through that. We can meet with the, the teacher individually via Zoom or over a phone call. Um, we give out our email and our cell phones. So all the teachers have access to us year round for support. Um, and in the beginning, that, that's obviously used a little bit more than, you know, for veteran teachers, but even veteran teachers will come up with, I have this student and I'm not sure what to do. Well, mm -hmm. we have a specialist on our staff who has her master's in special ed and can give great advice and, you know, just be a sounding board for ideas, um, for those teachers who happen to have a student that, well, that student has something that I've never experienced before. I don't know what to do, you know? So those are the kinds of supports that we give, um, you know, for our schools, for our, for our teachers. And we can either do the training in person or via Zoom, so. So you have amazing customer support to back up. Absolutely. When somebody yeah. buys the product, you're there Definitely. to train them. It's all part of it. Right. I like, awesome. I like to say that when somebody chooses Right Start, they are part of our family. Mm -hmm. And we need to have it be successful for the child. Therefore, it needs to be successful for the adult. So how can we support you? Um, I've got one uh, woman who we've, we've kind of developed a relationship. I've never met her, but she texts me quite frequently on Sunday. You know, hey, could you check this or what about <laughs> that? You know, and like I always tell people, because like Teresa said, we give our cell phone numbers out. I tell them, give me a call if it's Saturday afternoon. If I'm not doing anything, I'm totally going to answer. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm doing something fun, sorry, you're going to voicemail. But if I'm just <laughs> sitting around, you know, watching the paint dry, trust me, I'm going to answer it and see what I can do to help you. Yeah, you're very quick to answering. You, I've been communicating with you for years, and you're <laughs> you're great. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, Okay, before we go to our concluding question, are there any other resources that you have that we need to make our listeners aware of? Teresa, go ahead. You got an yeah, idea? Yeah, I would like to point out that on our website, therightstartmath.com, um, 
If you look at the top, there's a ribbon across the top. And if you go to resources, hover over that, it drops down a menu. There's a lot of things there. So there's webinars and, you know, a lot of support. But one thing I wanted to highlight was under teaching support, there are what we call overview videos. And these are meant for you as the teacher, whether you're a homeschooling teacher or a classroom teacher. These overview videos walk you through four lessons at a time, four lessons per video. And we show you, we give you tips on how to teach those lessons. So this might be something that the new teacher would wanna watch every single one for the entire year. That, that's a possibility. But I would think it's, it's more often used as, huh, I'm looking ahead to this week. These are the lessons we're gonna cover. I'm not sure how to, to do this one. And then you go and you look at the video that pertains to that lesson and you get great advice on, on you know, just tips on how to make this easier if your child is struggling with this part, portion of it, you know, what to do. So that is one of those uh, resources out there that I think both classroom teachers and homeschool teachers can benefit from. Perfect. I'd like to piggyback off that real quick. These overview videos are not for the child. Right. They are for you, the adult, because we assume that we're talking to you as a friend. And actually, mm -hmm. Teresa does, I think you do two of the levels. She does the, the two yep. upper, yep, two of them, the upper levels, four, four and five. And she'll she'll kind of become your new best friend. Mm -hmm. uh, Debbie does kindergarten, first grade. Uh, Rachel does second and third. But they become your new best friend. So they're kind of like a big sister going, okay, you got this. You can do this. You can put this together. You got this. Sometimes <laughs> you'll visit them. Sometimes you don't. So, but it's not for the child. The child will get Zippo out of it or very, very <laughs> little. So it's not something you can sit your child down in front and go look at. Another thing we have is because we talk a lot about games and most people, myself included, are like, oh, I can't read those instructions. I mean, even if there are just a few of them, it's like, oh, that's a lot of words. Because somebody just <laughs> show me. So we actually created game instruction videos. Now those are on a pay pay-per-view platform, they're $4.99 a month, which, you know, that's half the price of Netflix. That's really not that exciting. But it's got all the games for your grade level or, you know, whatever level, whatever you're doing. It's got all the games that you need. And we've got a deal for schools. And I don't remember the price right off the top of my head, but schools have a thing where they can, they can look at all the games. So even if you've got a child who's you know, we're in third grade, but they need to do some work in the first grade stuff. We can still have access to it. So with the videos, we have all the games available for you. So you don't have to sit there and try to read the instructions. You can just go to it and go, oh, here's how we play this. And most of the videos are two to five minutes. They're not like this is going to last forever. No, it's just a quick little thing to show you how to play, give you some tips, give you some variations, moving on. And Perfect. that's something that is well worth the money and time. Perfect. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Okay. This is awesome. So my concluding question that I always ask our uh, guests, I have two that you can choose from one. Um, what is a quote from a book that has had a huge impact on you? Or what book do you wish you had read sooner in your life? Who wants to go first? I'll go first because I know what Kathleen's is. <laughs> um, 
I think we should end on that note. So this, okay. I was an English major in college. So this is a really hard question for me, not because I don't have any quotes or books or whatever, but because I have way too many. Um, but Okay, if I have to narrow it down, and I'm going to kind of adjust your question just a little bit. I will talk about one author that I don't think is all that well known um, and, and two of his books, okay? So his name is Lloyd C. Douglas. Have either of you heard of him? No, okay, that's what I thought. So um, the first book I ever read from him was, is called The Robe. And it is oh, a book. Oh, yes. Have you read I that? I have that book. I didn't oh, okay. know, but I, I definitely have it. And uh, I have a vintage copy of it, but I never read it. And I oh, forgot no. who the author was. Oh, no, was. Adrian, that is, that is not okay. You've got to read this book. Okay. okay? <laughs> um, fabulous story. And I will just tell you briefly, it is about the centurion that was in charge of killing Christ. Okay. Wow. Okay awesome book. And I read it in high school. My dad pushed it. It wasn't like the high school gave it to me to read. Um, my dad said, you'll love this book. And so I read it. And oh my goodness. In fact, he was first introduced to this book. He read it. Uh, he was, it, I, I'm the youngest of six. So he was an older father and he had fought in World War II. He was on a peacekeeping force in China after World War II. And this book was handed to him. Well, what did they really have to do but to sit around and play cards or read a book, right? So he read it. And it lasted with him all those years until he handed it to me. Fabulous, fabulous story. Um, and then the second one, it's called The Magnificent Obsession. It's also by Lloyd C. Douglas. And I have read that with my students, my homeschool students um, as well. I read that in high school and I missed all of the kind of silly side stories that were going on. There's nothing wrong about them. But now that I've read it as a more mature adult, I like, huh, they probably made it into a movie and it was probably an awful movie. But um, the central theme is about this brain surgeon who uh, was the happiest man anybody ever knew. And everybody loved him. But not everybody knew why everybody loved him. And the story is about a young, careless, um, wealthy by inheritance young man who, um, you know, was pretty much directionless. And he actually inadvertently caused the death of this beloved doctor. And one day he woke up and said, I have to take his place. So he studied to become a brain surgeon. And in the meantime, he discovered this doctor's diary that was written in code. And he discovered the secret to that man's happiness. Okay, don't give and us too many spoilers. Don't I'm spoil not gonna it. <laughs> that's it. That's all I'm going to say. You need to read it to find out what his secret I was. I and if, if I had to pick a book that changed my, my direction or at least my focus in life or my understanding, I would say that one um, because of the core message, not because of all the frilly side stories. 
So there you go. I'm done. Fun. Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> Interesting. Well, mine, I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer, what book do I wish I had read sooner in my life? And this is kind of an impossible answer, but oh my goodness, Dr. Cotter is writing a new book and we're in the publisher stage. We're, we're, so it's, it's coming. It is written. It is done. We're looking for a publisher. We're working with them, trying to get out. So I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's, we're in the works. And that book, I was part of, I, I helped write part of it. And I was part of the proofing team, as was Teresa. There are so many places in there. And I probably have read the book, Teresa, I think we went through, what, three three versions? Three or four. Three, three or four. And I've read it before that, and I helped write it. So, I mean, I've seen this. I've read it at least five times. Even as I go through and I read it, I have spots where I'll actually put smiley faces, and then I'll write, oh, my. It's a proof copy. I'm looking for errors. I'm looking for what doesn't make sense. And I've read it how many times, and I still come across that spot and go, oh, Oh my goodness, what? Now, really, math, are you serious? But it's there. So I wish I had read that so much younger. I wish I would have read that before I started teaching my children. I wish I would have read that before, you know, I started doing things here. I mean, just, it's just so good. So I cannot wait for you guys to get this book. It is amazing. Oh, when does it come out? You know, do you know I don't yet? Know. We're working with a publisher. So we're, we're at, we're still kind of in the talk, talk, yeah. talk stage. And yeah, but the book is written and no, you can't have an advanced copy. So <laughs> are you telling the title? Not yet. We have a couple titles suggested. We want to see what the publisher wants, okay. but it's something uh, I'd have to even look right now. It's, it's um actually, let me look. I, Cause I am, I'm actually referencing it for the book that I'm writing right now. Uh, let me go look and see, because I know I've got, there's two options, and I don't know that this will be the final answer, but one of them is uh, The Counting Myth, Discover a Better Way to Teach Elementary Math. Another option, and again, this, don't, don't you know, write these down and think, oh, I can't right. wait for them out, because these are just thoughts at this point. Another one is Count Me Out, How to Teach Arithmetic Without the Burden of Counting. Oh, nice. So, and you're, so can I ask how old your mother is? No. Okay. <laughs> Cause she's, so she's, she's old enough. She's, and I'll let her tell you if she wants to, she's old enough to know. And she's, you know, cause yeah, she's older because she's actually a, a great grandma. Um, and actually, she's, so this is a book that is going to really show her, her, her wisdom. And if I can be so bold, this is a book that is going to change the way that math is taught in the world. And I realized that's like, wow, that's a really grand statement. It's worthy. It is worthy. This book is amazing. It's, and it's not, it's not about right start. It's about her philosophy and her education and her mm -hmm. research and what she's discovered. And she goes back and she talks about Teresa arithmetic and she talks about, you know, how they did short division in 1905 and people now are saying short what? You know, on all the things that were there and why things are done and why this happened, what this happened and like all the different, I think there's something like 15 different ways to do four digit subtraction. What? And she shows some of them that are just bizarre, but they're real. 
And so she shows the history kind of of math and math education. It is awesome. I just, I don't even have enough words for how awesome it is. So we're hurrying, yeah. we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds great. I can't, well, we'll have to have you and your mom back on, have your mom yes. on. She'll come on and yes. talk about her book when it's done. Yes. So. And, and real right. quick, because just real quick, because you had asked about her age. She is a very healthy person. She bicycles to town. She swims a mile. She bicycles home. You know, so it's not like she's some little old frail lady sitting in the corner drinking tea. She's, <laughs> she's actually learning how to unicycle right now. She rollerblades. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So ice she's skates. not a normal. Yeah. And yeah. And she ice skates. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, she's amazing. And her work is absolutely phenomenally amazing. Oh, I love that. I love that you are so proud of your mom. And that oh, you're I'm just tickled. Carrying on, you know, a beautiful legacy for her, you know, to keep this going. The beauty of what she's been devoted her life to is, is really special. It's very beautiful. Well, I will have all of this information in my show notes. I will have a link to your website in my show notes. And um, if our listeners will just, if they end up reaching out to you, let them know that they heard about you from this podcast, from Adrian and the Classical Education Podcast. And and that would be, I think, great. So you can just kind of get to know some of my people. <laughs> Hopefully Wonderful. We look reach forward out to, to you. But thank you so much for being on the program. And thank you thank for you. having us. This was a delight to, to meet with you again, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can get involved in a few ways. There's a Facebook page where we actively discuss the ideas around classical education. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. And if you want to help offset our production costs, you can support the podcast financially by going to www.classicaleducationpodcast.com forward slash support. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once said, Well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be in a few words this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know best of all what it is to behave under it as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven. Thank you.